And he's, he's so good to us. So good. That's a blessing. Let's open our Bibles while you're standing to Joshua chapter 21. Joshua 21 in just a moment. Miss Holly Youngblood is going to sing. Joshua 21, the last three verses of the chapter, beginning in verse 43. For our guests, we're making our way through the book of Joshua on Sunday morning in a series we've titled Possess Your Land. I don't get tired or bored with this thought. In fact, I get, I get bright-eyed about it. I believe that if you exist, and if you have any questions about that, see Brother Max after the service, and he'll help affirm that you exist. And you don't even, contrary to the federal government, you don't even have to provide a birth certificate or a social security number to prove that you exist. <laughs> prove that you're alive. <laughs> If you exist this morning, God has purpose for your life. I don't get bored with that thought. That the almighty, eternal God loves you, has an interest in, and a purpose for your life. It's amazing. The message this morning is so critical to that purpose being lived out. Not not because of me, but because of understanding the nature of who God is and how his nature can be challenged in our lives. How our view of him and our thought of him can be affected by different things that we face. So verse 43, it's really a triumphant summary and I want to deal with the reality that's understood. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers. Go back, go back to the beginning. And the Lord gave unto Israel. What's the word? All. All. I know it's hard to understand. But what does all mean? All. Now, listen, you can make a case, and, and I understand, they didn't do everything with it that they were supposed to. But he still gave it all to them. Which he swore to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about. There had been so many battles. They, they had been in the wilderness for 40 years watching the rebellious generation die. And, and now they've been through so many battles. And even through some of the consequences of their disobedience and rebellion and neglect during this journey that we have discussed. But now they have rest. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. The title is simple, and we'll repeat it in a different way when we make the statement this morning. Faith in his faithfulness. Faith in his faithfulness. Father, my desire every Sunday morning is every, the same as it is on Sunday night, same as it is on Wednesday night, any other time that we assemble, is that if we're going to take the time to open your word, that you would speak. God, this morning you won't speak because I'm perfect 
or else you would be silent. You won't speak because we who hear you or attempt to hear you are perfect. But you will speak because of who you are and because of what you've promised. And so God, this is a a simple reminder and yet one that we need because of the challenges we face and because of our own weaknesses. And so God, as we consider the idea of faith in your faithfulness, Lord, would you convict us and help us. Father, please help your people this morning. Help me to communicate clearly. Help us to receive it genuinely and to respond with intent according to how you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. Let's enjoy this special. Allow God to speak to your heart, and then we'll get to the message. to me a mystery how he 
Jessica, you can just keep playing for a second. I, so, look, I try to be, just try to be sensitive to things, and maybe it's just for me, and I'm okay if it's just for me. Don't be bored. Don't be bored. Thank you. Don't be bored. I'm afraid that we hear a song like this. And we apply it to everybody else but ourselves. You know, sometimes I, I, I do it half kidding. Like I, I hear a song like this and I just want to have an invitation. Because I know that he knows me. I know that he knows me. Can I just be honest? I don't like what I know that he knows. And I wish that it, I wish that it wasn't. But aren't you thankful? No, I, listen, I'm not, I'm trying to manipulate anything. But if you're saved and you know you're a child of God, and you've seen the best of God at work in your life, this ought to stir you. And so I don't, Miss Holly, I don't want you to sing the whole song again I just want you to sing that last verse again if that's okay and can we just have some invitation by ourselves right now can we just rejoice in the God who does not turn away from us when we are at our worst Can we rejoice at the God who always gives his best is always available? Are you disappointed in somebody else? God is still giving you his best. Are you disappointed in yourself? God is still. Are you battling cancer? He's still giving you his best. Are you lonely right now? Because of regret, he's still giving you his best. Can be at my worst. Does not change who he is. I just want it to sink into us. I want this truth. I don't, I just, I don't want to, pass off the truth of this so many times we give up when things are at their worst and we can miss out on his best it's great truth so can we just 
One more time, can we just let it ruminate in our hearts? And whatever crevice of fear or anger or doubt, rejection or regret that you are feeling, can you allow the truth of this to permeate that part of you? Say, God, I don't understand all this, but I believe you to be at your best. Just one more time. That last verse, Holly. Thank you for singing it. Thankful for the truth. That is a blessing. Father, I've already prayed. My heart's just stirred up and I already I just I want to thank you again for your ability to speak through interactions, through music. Lord, your truth is powerful and thank you for the encouragement of it this morning. Thank you for the way that you have ordered this service. And I pray that you would help us now to lock into your word and to be responsive to be receptive and then responsive to it in Jesus' name, amen. So talking about faith in his faithfulness, I, I actually reached out. We have, we have a few different firefighters in our church, and I reached out to Brother Matt Johnson, uh, who's been a firefighter for several years, and uh, just asked him a simple question. Do firefighters take an oath? And they actually do. Um, and from what I read, uh, they take an oath regarding different things. They, they first take an oath that would have similarity to, if not be the exact same, and forgive me for not knowing every specific detail, but that would be similar to what military personnel, when, when they take an oath to serve their country and to protect and defend the Constitution, uh, but, but they take an oath to follow orders. They take an oath to carry out their duty to be faithful, even, even in the face of great danger. A firefighter by the name of Timothy Stackpole took such an oath. On June 5th in 1998, Timothy, along with many other firefighters, were responding to a five-alarm fire in Brooklyn. Now, I didn't know this, but fires are graded. In a, 
as, as earthquakes would be graded in severity or, t- or n- tornadoes would be graded in severity, fires are graded. And a fire, five-alarm fire, though there are other grades, this is considered to be the highest. And, and if you can wrap your mind around it, it, it essentially means this, that it, it requires 100 or more firefighters to put out. And so if you can imagine the scope of something that massive, that's what a five-alarm fire is. Two, in responding to this fire, Timothy, two of his fellow firefighters were killed and more were injured in a building collapse. In fact, Timothy Stackpole was seriously injured. He spent over two months in the burn center of a hospital with fourth and fifth degree burns over 40% of his body. He endured many surgeries and months of painful rehabilitation. He had two goals, to recover and spend as much time as he could with his family, and to return to full duty. Against popular opinion, perhaps from his family and from fellow colleagues, he succeeded in that. And on March 10th, 2001, Timothy returned to his lieutenant's job, full duty. He was promoted to captain on September the 6th, 2001. On 9-11, he was off-duty, doing different tours, just checking out on some different things when 9-11 occurred. But based on the kind of man that you know him to be from this fraction of information, it won't surprise you to know that even though he was off-duty, the moment he heard of what had happened, he responded. And this time he wasn't injured Instead, like so many others, he gave his life. I love stories of people who are faithful. I love stories of people who keep their promises. I love stories of people who through great adversity, who through great challenges, who even through great, to great detriment of themselves, they remain faithful They remain faithful in success. They remain faithful in defeat. They remain faithful in sickness. They remain faithful in health. They remain faithful in adversity. They remain faithful in easy times. They remain faithful in good times. I love stories like that of this firefighter that I'll never meet, at least in this life. I love stories of men and women who are faithful even when their life is on the line and yet the potential loss of life, and in his case, what turned out to be the end of his life, it did not deter him from being faithful. And and I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say this about him because it was demonstrated two different times that even knowing that he was going to lose his life, I believe he still would have run into that building because keeping his word meant something to him. Being faithful meant something to him. I'm thankful for people who keep their promises. But can I dump a cold cup of reality on all of you this morning? We've all failed that in one way or another. Now maybe you can say it's in a minor thing. Maybe you would have to admit, like me or others, it's been in a major thing. But we all know what it's like to both be hurt by people who don't keep their promise 
Man, I've had to apologize to my children. Listen, I know I promised you I was going to do this, but things happened and I let things get in the way and I didn't prioritize things like I should have and I'm sorry and I need you to forgive me. My children know what it's like to have a father say we're going to do something and then to be disappointed by that. My wife knows what it's like to have a husband say I'm going to get this done. How many husbands have said I'll put that in the dirty clothes. I'll take out the trash. I'll pick that up on my way home. Or something even more significant of much greater consequence. How many wives know the sting of having failed your husband or failed your children or failing a friend, failing a family member, failing someone at work? We know what it's like both to be failed by a lack of faithfulness and to fail because of a lack of faithfulness. We know what that's like. I understand we might not want to admit it. I understand this morning that the tendency might be to answer that question or that challenge this way and say, well, I've never failed in that way. Okay, I'm not saying everyone has failed in every way, but it's more than likely that all of us have failed in some way. And so we've either been failed or we have failed, or in most cases, we have experienced both. We have failed, or we've been failed, and we know the sting of both of those. We know the regret of both of those. And the, rea- and, and the result of that is this, that we can lose faith in faithfulness. Look, for our guests, I'm a, I try to be transparent when I preach. Because I'm not just talking about theological truth. I'm trying to talk about truth that is supposed to affect your daily life. And so we talk about things that can sometimes be uncomfortable to have to talk about. But it's for our good. Can some people around here that are here regularly say amen to that? If you mean it. It's for our good. The goal is never to be awkward. But real life can be awkward sometimes. And we're not trying to be comfortable in here. We're trying to be right. And we're trying to know the truth of God that can help us. And sometimes I talk about things in my own life, or I talk about things that people can go through, and it can be awkward, but please, please don't let the awkwardness discourage you from looking in, locking in, and, and examining your own life. I remember one time, there was something, it wasn't a great sin, it, it was a carelessness on my part, but the heaviness of it, back in the early years of our mar- marriage, the heaviness it came not from the nature of it itself, but it came because of, its re- because of how many times it was repeated. You know what I'm talking about? Just You look at the thing itself and you're like, that's not a big deal. But then when a wife is having to look at this action being repeated over and over and over again and apologized over and over and over again, she can begin to lose confidence And I remember apologizing to Andrea. And some of you have heard this story before. I apologize to Andrea for for that very specific thing. And I can take you back to our house. This This would be years ago. This is several states away. But I can take you to the place on the street. I can take you to the place in our house. I can take you to the laundry room where this conversation occurred. Where I came to her and I said, babe, I know I failed and I'm sorry. And her response convicted me so much. She said, Jonathan, it's not, it's not that I don't forgive you. But it's hard for me to believe and to take you seriously when you just keep doing the same thing over and over again. You know what was happening? She was losing faith in faithfulness. It's hard, isn't it? 
And we, please look at me. Please don't check out on me. We have all been there. We have either been the recipient of it, of, like my wife, or we have been the cause of it, like me. And, and this morning, you're not going to help yourself if, you, if your response to this is, well, I've not done this in some major way. If Jesus had to die for it, it's bad enough. And even minor things can become major things if they're not dealt with. And so Andrew began to lose faith in faithfulness. And you know what that's like. You can know what that's like in marriage. You can know what that's like with, with family relationships. You can know what that's like at work. You can know what that's like within a church setting, with, with each other, with leadership, or with things that are going on. We, we all can relate politically. No, I had all kinds of stuff I thought about saying here. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to be a distraction to people today. It's just, hey, we live in an age when politicians overpromise and have no intention of performing. Say, how do you know? Because there's so many times they don't do what they say they're going to do. Or in some cases, do so much differently. We, we know what it's like to be failed. And we know what it's like to fail in faithfulness. But I want to remind you from the word of God. And the point of highlighting our struggle and being stung with that is not so that we will... It's not so that we'll loathe ourselves and we'll be down on ourselves, but it's to highlight the contrast between us and the God who never fails. Though you have been failed, and though most certainly you have failed, there is a God who has never failed His people. It's like it says in Psalm 36, 5, the psalmist said of him, thy, thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches unto the, reacheth unto the clouds. And the reason in Scripture you see the different authors inspired by the Holy Spirit using impos- impossible measurements to measure the character of God is because it's beyond our ability to comprehend the depth of God's goodness and His greatness. Like the song says, it, it talks about his mercy, the love of God. If, the scribe, if every man a scribe and every tongue, uh, uh, man, I'm messing that song. Somebody help me. Yeah, something like that. Would, would drain the oceans dry. Man, I am having a massive brain lapse right now. It's like not recognizing amazing grace when it's being played on the piano. This is ridiculous. The the, the point is to write of God's love. If if all of the water in the ocean were ink and every man a scribe, to write of God's love would drain the ocean dry. To try to measure the, the faithfulness of God, you would have to reach to the heavens and beyond. And the point is this, that his goodness and the greatness of his resources are inexhaustible. God is As a matter of fact, he is a faithful God. It's who he is, and it's what he does, and he has never once failed his people. Here in our text, we have a summary of that very thing being on display. God had promised the nation of Israel, he had promised Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then his sons, and then their descendants, as they grew and multiplied in Egypt, and as they became enslaved in Egypt, there was this promise that had been made that, that I am going to give you a land to possess. As a reminder, 
He didn't give them that land because they were better than anyone else. He gave them that land for a couple of reasons. One, because of the reprehensible wickedness and the obscene moral depravity of the inhabitants. We're not going to go through that all again. The people that inhabited the land before Israel came into it, they they had given themselves over to debauchery and wickedness. And And the Bible even says that their evil spewed them out of the land. God was obligated to deal with that wickedness as he deemed fit. But it was also because of his promise to bring a redeemer into the world. And I'm thankful that Jesus is the lamb, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And that even in the Garden of Eden when man sinned and thrust the human race into enmity against God, that the plan for salvation was already wrought in God's mind because he knows all and he sees all from beginning to end. And the and and salvation's plan was already being had already been worked out in his heart because he loves us and the nation of Israel was a part of bringing the Messiah into existence and then he had a desire to use this nation as a testament to his goodness you see multiple references in in the Old Testament of how God wanted Israel to be a light to the greatness of God and how he as the God is better than all that are worshipped as gods they were to be a testimony now, remember this. He had made the same promise to the previous generation. What do you mean? He had promised the previous generations, I have a land for you. But then they all died in the wilderness. Now stay, stay with me. We're going to get there really quick. They all died in the wilderness. For 40 years, the generation that's currently inhabiting the promised land that is hearing these words being summarized and spoken, they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, some of them as children, and then some of them, many of them born along the way, but they had watched their parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and older siblings and their parents, friends, they had watched them wander in the wilderness for 40 years and one by one die off until that generation was completely removed. I just want to tell you, I want to give you this warning this morning. It's possible to miss out on the benefits of God's faithfulness. You know, there was a generation that had access to the same God, that had access to the same faithfulness, for whom God wanted the same thing to happen to them. He wanted it generations prior you say, well, did God fail them? No, God didn't fail them, but they rebelled. And, it, and it's not that they made a mistake. It's that they were cons- constantly and consistent, consistently resisting the work of God and refusing to submit to him. And every time God proved himself, they would meet that proving and they would meet that act of mercy with more rebellion. I mean, it, it's mind-blowing to think before you get into the beginning of Numbers and, and you read about the rebellion and, and them rejecting God, you read about it in Exodus, it's amazing to see the things that God showed them. How he brought them out of Egypt. How he brought them through the Red Sea. 
How he provided manna every morning. How their clothes didn't wear out. How he was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. How he caused water to flow out of a rock. How he caused bitter water to be made sweet and drinkable and healthy for his people. Over and over and over again, he proved himself to be a faithful God that they could trust. And yet they come to the borders of the promised land and they see the giants. And rather than believing in the God who had brought them that that far they accuse the leadership of trying to seek their death they speak of stoning them and they refuse to obey God until it's too late I'm telling you you can miss out on the benefits of God's faithfulness in your life but then I also want to point out this reality and this is demonstrated in the generation that went in first as a warning The second reality is wonderful. This is good. You don't have to be perfect to benefit from the blessings of God's faithfulness. (laughs) You say, you're contradicting yourself. No, it's possible for two things to exist. No, you can reject God to the point and refuse to obey him to the point that you don't benefit from the goodness and grace that he offers to you. But that should not lead you to jumping into a ditch that says if a person is not perfect, they cannot benefit from his faithfulness. Because I've got a newsflash this morning, and I'll try to say it very mellowly and calmly. None of you are perfect. And so if benefiting from his faithfulness depended on your perfection, depended upon you having perfect faith, we would close up shop, we would lock these doors and go home because there's no point. Because you, if there's any, if there's an ounce of honesty about you, you are not perfect before a holy God. And you can start thinking about what everybody else does, but you need to allow the mirror of the truth to zone in on your life right now. You are not faithful, but I'm just here with this awesome encouragement this morning that you don't have to be perfect in order to benefit from his perfect faithfulness. Listen, they cross, they cross over, they cross the Jordan, and things are going well. They go to battle with Jericho, and things are going well. But what happens at Jericho? There's one of their number that disobeys. He lusts, he covets, he takes possession, he hides it in his tent, a man named Achan. And then what happens? Joshua sends out spies to go estimate Ai, and they trust in their wisdom. I know I'm summarizing this quickly, but rather than saying God... You had a plan for Jericho. Do you have a plan for AI? They assume, listen, we're bad to the bone. Look at what we did to Jericho. Was it them that did that to Jericho? No, all they did was walk around Jericho. It's amazing how arrogant we can become about the blessings of God in our life. All they did was walk around the city without talking, without tweeting, without posting. I'm still on that kick. (laughs) Hashtag silence. (laughs) And then on the seventh day, they walk around seven times, and they shout, and the trumpets blow, and the walls come down. They didn't do that. God did that, but they enjoy his blessing. They get arrogant, and they decide, man, we got AI. And they go, and they, in partial strength, a fraction of their strength, because of their arrogance, and they suffer a humiliating defeat. Well, God's done with them. Nope. Oh, please get it. 
please get it. God's not done with you just because you've had a defeat in your life. Let's just be honest. We get arrogant in our victories. Things go well for a moment. We're like, yep, yep, I got this. We get arrogant in our successes. Things go well for a moment, like, nope, nope, I got this. And then our arrogance, we begin to act impulsively. We begin to act without consulting or considering the purpose of God, without considering the possibility that maybe I need to correct some things. Because I believe this, God would have told Joshua what was wrong. He did it after. I believe if they had sought him, he would have done it before. But they did it, and so now you say, man, and in fact, Joshua, I can't re-preach this whole message, but you could go back to, to Joshua, I think it's four or five where this happened. Joshua throws himself on the ground before God and says, did you bring us out here just to let us suffer these embarrassing defeats? And God says to Joshua, get up. The problem's not with me. The problem is with you. But then he showed them how to rectify it. He showed them how to correct it, and he gave them victory again. I'm telling you, the defeats in your life do not have to translate into a story. I said this in Sunday school. I didn't plan it this way. But the lesson in Sunday school was about the same concept. There will be moments of defeat in our lives because others aren't always faithful, because we're not always faithful, but God is always faithful. And even when you fail, even in a chapter of defeat in your life, where you have dropped the ball, or someone has harmed you tremendously, God does not cease to be a faithful God. It's so wonderful that we don't have to be perfect in our faith for him to be perfect in our faithfulness, in his faithfulness. Let me say that again. Please, please wrap this up and take it home. You don't have to be perfect in your faith. For him to be perfect in his faithfulness. Now, I'm not justifying anything. Because Joshua did have to humble himself and turn back to him. But you understand when you do that, God picks you back up again. God's faithfulness is not based on your or anyone else's perfection. I can tell you're curious, so let me give you a few examples. Salvation. <laughs> Salvation is a promise that is not based on your performance. It is based on your accepting Jesus Christ for yourself. That's what it is. No, we turn it into a whole lot of things. It's not always coming to church. It's not getting baptized. It's not tithing. It's not never yelling at my kids. It's not never showing disrespect to my husband. It's not never thinking a bad thought. It's not never failing because you're going to struggle with things after you get saved. No, I'm not saying you should. I'm not saying that it's good. I'm not saying you should use the grace of God as a cop-out. But I am telling you, there are going to be moments as a child of God when you drop the ball, but he doesn't drop you called eternal security the bible doesn't use that word but it does use that concept my sheep hear my voice in john 10 and i know them and they follow me and i give unto them eternal life and then jesus right there talks about the elements of the trinity at work when he says no man is able to pluck them out of my hand no man's able to pluck them out of my father's hand my father which gave them me is greater than all and no man's able to pluck them out of my hand it's amazing i and the father are one isn't it amazing your salvation doesn't depend on your perfection. It depends on your willingness to believe in a perfect Savior. You ought to be happy about that. I'm not bored. 
Let me talk about something else. Jesus promised to build his church. Man, church just doesn't work today. Don't you know? Too many pastors have failed. I agree, by the way. I agree too many pastors have failed. I agree that too many church members have failed. I agree, I, I agree that the battles we bring on ourselves as churches most of the time are more self, self-inflicted than they are society-inflicted. We bring reproach upon ourselves many times more than a culture wants to target us. Well, I mean, everybody doesn't like us and it hurts our feelings. Get over it. If we actually acted like Jesus on a consistent basis, we wouldn't bring as we wouldn't have as much trouble as we do sometimes. You know what the truth is? I'm not perfect. Let me give you another news flash. I've already given you. You can enjoy it again as it runs by the screen. You're not perfect. But you know what Jesus keeps doing? Building his church. And you know why things are happening here at West Valley? Because there is an intentional effort not to have the focus on a man, not to have the focus on a program, but to have the focus on this. Be excited about who he is and be excited about what he can do in people's lives. No, I get pastor, you're not perfect. Got it, I get it. I'll sit down at the table with you and we can talk about it. Yes, I agree. Yes, I agree. And we can sit down at the same table and talk about your imperfection. But I'm amazed about this, that a perfect God is able to build a great church with imperfect people because he is a faithful God. I'm not bored with that. God is able to help you. Some of you are having a really hard time with your attitude. You let bitterness or resentment or discontent creep in. Some of you are overwhelmed by circumstances that you can't control. You've gotten one bad diagnosis from a doctor after another. Your heart is broken because of what someone did to you. Some of you are overwhelmed at your own failure. And it weighs on you. I just want to tell you this morning. There is a faithful God who doesn't fluctuate an ounce because of your struggles. He's not moved. He continues. He's not changed, I mean. And he continues to work and to move to accomplish his purpose in your life. Can I, can I tell you a quick silly story and then I just want to ask some questions. Jason, come up here real fast. And Jason's 16. He probably is going to be taller than me before too long. He already kind of it's just been kind of weird. Like, he's smarter than me, he's better looking than me, and he's going to be taller than me, and I'm just filled with insecurity right now. <laughs> You're good, dude. You're good. Stand up straight. Smile. Smile. You are handsome. He is smarter. That's a true statement. You're good. 
Do you remember the monkey bars when you were like three? Yeah. When you got me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like our, our family, I've always been like this. Andrea, Andrea is down with this. We, we work out and we do, we do f- crazy stuff. And then I'm, and I'm constantly trying to push my kids because I'm not just thinking about that moment. I'm thinking about the day when he's 30. And I, and I want him to have something in him that knows how to push himself. And I understand it doesn't always translate like I want it to. But, man, we just push ourselves. And, and that's the kind of family that we are. And with my sons, with my daughters, we're pushing. Well, he was three, and we had a swing set in our backyard with some monkey bars on it. And he was doing, the, he was doing it by himself at three, like a little monkey. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. And, look, I, we, we actually prayed. His mom and I, his mom, I know she prayed. I don't know if I prayed, but his mama prayed, Lord, please let him be taller than me. <laughs> and it's okay if he's not. That's not the stature of a man, his actual height. But he's like, man, I want my sons to at least be taller than their mama. But there was a time when he was like, and like at three, you're like, is he one? <laughs> but man, he was tearing up those monkey bars. And he's standing there, he's gone back and forth, not long ones, but for a three-year-old, might as well be the Gulf of Mexico, and, and he's gone, gone back and forth like three times, and I'm like, okay, bud, one more time, daddy, I'm tired. But me, I'm like a coach, personal trainer to a three-year-old, <laughs> like, you got this, you got to dig deep, <laughs> you can have a juice box afterwards, okay, whatever. And, it, and then I made, him this, I made him this promise. I made him this promise. If you fall, I promise I'll catch you. I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> because his face told a different story. No, look, please, please. I, the humor was on purpose, but please, please lock in on this. It's really hard for a three-year-old to fall like eight feet and hit their face on the ground. Can I, can I encourage you with this? You may have been dropped by somebody, but he has never dropped you. <laughs> I love my son. I love my sons, my daughters that are in here. And I want them to know, I want them to be able to trust me But more than that, I want them to be able to trust in a faithful God who will never fail them. What are some reasons that we lose faith in his faithfulness? Please, please stay with me. Just, there's three things. Please stay with me. Can you stay with me? Number one, here's why we lose faith in his faithfulness. We misinterpret what his faithfulness actually means. You know, we, we've allowed self-centered, so-called ministers who are only in it for, the, for what they can gain lucratively, and they write books, and they make declarations that God is not anywhere near. And they promise something that God has never promised. In fact, God has actually promised the opposite. And there is a form. It's not true. It's not authentic. But there is a form of Christianity that declares follow God, and you never have troubles. 
Follow God and you never get sick. Follow God and your marriage is going to be perfect. Follow God and your children will always do right. Follow God and your parents will never mess up. Follow God and everything at church is going to be easy and fun. Follow God and your job and the economy and blah, 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 blah. And yet that's not the truth of life and it's not the truth of the word of God. In fact, Jesus promised something else. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but you're just going to suffer in general. It rains on the just and on the, on the unjust, and there are going to be ups and downs in life, and you can do the right thing and still experience adversity, and Job is a perfect example of this. Joseph is an example of this. David, when he was on the run up from Saul, was an example of this. Ruth is an example of this. There are people who were doing the right thing, who experienced significant trauma in their lives, and sometimes you think faithfulness is nothing bad ever happening to you. That's not faithful, God's faithfulness. Can I, you've got you've to think, I mean, there's so much here. I'm not going to try to unpack it all, but God allows people to make individual decisions that affect your life. God allows people to do things that can cause harm to you. Sometimes he can stop it. But he allows people to choose to get drunk and then to get into a vehicle. He allows a husband and a wife to fight constantly and to abuse each other verbally and emotionally to the point that it affects their children. You say, why does God allow those things? Because he didn't create robots. And this is what I'm amazed by this argument. We, we make this argument as an accusation against God. Why doesn't he stop all the bad? How about we consider this? He's given us so much good. Why don't we do better with it? And instead of blaming God for all of the bad things others have done, why don't we look at ourselves and, why, and ask, why haven't I done better in my own life? Number two is another reason there's sin in the world, brothers and sisters. I hate it. I don't understand why people get sick. I don't understand why people are born with difficulties. I don't, I don't understand why, why I was born into this home and some child in, in Afghanistan is born into a home where they're abused or some kid is born in the inner city in, near which I was born. But they don't have, they don't have a dad who comes home or they don't, they don't have a mom who knows how to stay sober and stay off of drugs. I don't, I don't understand those things, but they're a result of sin. And we, we misdefine, understand, misinterpret what his faithfulness is. It's not that nothing bad will ever happen, but it does mean that he, you won't have to fight those battles alone. And that those battles don't have to define you. Number two, we give up prematurely. We lose faith in his faithfulness, we give up prematurely. I'm going to apply this point in two ways, specifically as it results to failure. How many of you have ever been tired of failing? Yeah. Me too. I'll just, I'll just sit right here beside you, Mr. Young. How many of you have been tired of failing? Well, I need to go to the altar because, frankly, I'm just sick of it. I'm just tired of it. Do you understand God doesn't give up on you when you give up on yourself? He paid too much of a price for you. He did. He, pay, he paid the cross. 
And, he, and the prodigal son teaches us, he doesn't want you giving up on yourself. And, and we quit. How can God do something with me? You know why? Because he's the great God. And he died on the cross and rose again. Number two, we give up on other people too quick. I understand it's hard not to give up on somebody that hurt you. But every time you sin, you hurt Christ. He feels it. And he doesn't give up on you. And yet we want to give up on people. We want to give up on situations as there, though there can be no hope. Number three, we want to shift blame for our consequences. You know, sometimes we lose faith in his faithfulness. Not, not because he's not faithful, but because we just don't want to accept that. Sometimes our actions do have real, literal consequences. Like, we'll push it over here, push it over there. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to blame God. God, why'd you let this happen? Maybe it had nothing to do with God. Maybe it had to do with you made a wrong decision or someone else made a wrong decision or there are consequences that we can't explain. But God is faithful in that. I've, I've told you her stir, story before. She's given me permission to use it. I'm thankful I'm thankful for my mom. I, I was just in another conversation with sharing this with somebody last week. Eight years old and the state took her from her parents. Her parents were not victims. Her parents were drunken, lascivious reprobates who cared more about the gratification of their flesh to the neglect of their own children. Mom was abused along with her seven brothers and sisters. There were days they went without food. And yet there was a foster family that just showed love. From eight to 18 raised her. Then she joined the Air Force. And you know what happened? She met Jesus Christ. And then she met my dad. And his story's not easy either. Lost his father when he was 15. Look, I understand bad things happen, but you know what my mom and dad will give testimony to today? God has been faithful. Don't lose faith in his faithfulness this morning. I know it might be hard where you're at. He's still working. This Brother Max, it doesn't have to be the last chapter. Don't lose faith in his faithfulness. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Some are already coming to the altar. You don't have to wait to stand up. You don't have to wait to come. every head bowed and every eye closed would there be anyone who would say I'm, I'm struggling to have faith in his faithfulness where I'm at what's happening I'm struggling to have faith in his faithfulness and I, I just need help I need his help 
Would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand up and say, that's me? I see him. I see him. God bless you for your honesty. God's not, God's not angry with you because you struggle. He's a faithful father who wants to affirm you and assure you. But there has to be a point at which you respond to him and humble yourself and say, God, your faithfulness will not fail. And though I'm failed by so many things, you will not fail me. And at some point, you're going to have to come to this altar for yourself. Respond to him. Let's stand together. Brother Nate, please begin to sing. If God has spoken to your heart, don't look around. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing. As Brother Nate sings, respond to the Lord this morning. go to that let's go to that first verse let's just sing it let's just sing it as a prayer to the lord brother nate let's come up here this will be our dismissal you are there will be seasons in your life when your faith in who he is is challenged don't lose faith in his faithfulness he's a faithful god it can be hard and it will be hard at times he abideth faithful he's a faithful god so brother nate get up here please Let's sing this out to the Lord. You are dismissed after this. Guest, thank you for being with us. It's a pleasure to have you here this morning. Look forward to being together at 5 o'clock tonight. And uh, God speaking to us again. Amen. This is hymn number 254. Tis so sweet. Just to